I'm Dina Kimball, and you're listening to Stories from the Candida Fund. In the early 1990s, Diana Blank, my mom, began a remarkable and unconventional philanthropic journey. Blessed with wealth she never envisioned having, she set out to try and help build a more just and equitable world. Diana has always been inspired by a combination of people and planet. How do we honor the very best in ourselves, in our communities, and beyond? She invested in transformative leaders and ideas. She experimented, followed her heart, and she took chances. And she did it all in her own unique way. Now, three decades and more than $1 billion of grant making later, my mom has completed that journey. These are some of the stories of what happened along the way. I'm Tim Stevens, and I'm a fund advisor for Candida, based in Montana. A few years ago, in 2018, Candida found itself in an unusual and extremely fortunate position. The fund's portfolio had outperformed expectations, leaving us with more resources than we'd anticipated or even planned for. That turn of events meant we had the ability to consider new grant-making opportunities, investments in issues where help was needed, but where Diana had not previously had a chance to lean in or offer support. We decided to find a few organizations and give them a lot of money, $10 million to be precise. One of the organizations we came to know during that time was the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, or NABS for short. NABS is committed to understanding and addressing the ongoing trauma created by the United States policy of separating indigenous children from their families and sending those children to residential boarding schools. It was a horrific chapter in our shared history, and it lasted nearly a century. But to this day, many Americans know little or nothing about it. What you're about to hear is the story of NABS, how they started, how Candida got connected to their work, and what they are doing today to address generational traumas in the indigenous community. Today, NABS is led in part by CEO Deborah Parker and Deputy CEO Samuel Torres. You'll hear from both of them later in this episode. But when I first learned about NABS, it was still a relatively new organization. At the time, they only had one full-time staff member, Christine McLeave. Uju indinawe maganiduk dindizi indijinikas makinak waju indunjaba migizi indudame. And what I just said to you in Anishinaabe Moen uh, or Ojibwe language is greetings, my relatives. My name is Blue Jay, and I'm from Turtle Mountain Reservation, and I am Eagle Clan. My English name is Christine McCleave, and I go by Christine Dindisi McCleave. I've told the origin story of NAB so many times, it's it's like a little script. Really, this movement started with Canada. Last year, when archaeologists detected what they believed to be 200 unmarked graves at an old school in Canada, it brought new attention to one of the most shameful chapters of that nation's history. Starting in the 1880s and for much of the 20th century, more than 150,000 children from hundreds of indigenous communities across Canada were forcibly taken from their parents by the government and sent to what were called residential schools. Funded by the state and run by churches, they were designed to assimilate and Christianize indigenous children by ripping them from their parents, their culture, and their community. 
the uh, Canadian government was eventually sued for the residential schools that they had in their country. They settled a class action lawsuit and started a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Canada has been awakened. The words of a residential school survivor today as the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was submitted. Folks in the United States were saying, you know, the same thing happened here. We also need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to address these human rights violations and these genocidal crimes. Our communities are dealing with this ongoing trauma. Pretty much all the disparities that you can cite in statistics about American Indian and Alaska Native communities stem from this historical genocidal policy to break apart our nations, break apart our families, and indoctrinate our children into a completely different culture. And by June of 2012, the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition was an official 501c3 nonprofit headquartered in Boulder with NARF, with the Native American Rights Fund. And it took them about three years before they were able to get enough funding to hire their first staff person. And I was fortunate enough to be that person. I put together these areas that, that I felt like their programming could develop in and around, and that was education, advocacy, and healing. Education was really the majority of it because so many people in this country did not even know that this was a policy, that this existed, that this happened to, to hundreds of thousands of Native American children. And so we wanted to raise that awareness to say this is American history, not just Native American history, as well as to raise awareness within Native communities about how these boarding school experiences impacted us and our families. It really was this process of awakening to the reality that Perhaps your mother or your grandmother did not say, I love you or give you a lot of hugs and affection because they were raised in a boarding school environment, which is institutional and very cold and, and lacking that kind of affection. There were challenges, so many challenges. One of the challenges was the transition of the organization from its infancy and being fiscally sponsored by the Native American Rights Fund and not having any staff of its own to when I came on board, get the organization independent and on its own. And I was told by John Echohawk that I could office there at NARF, but shortly after moving out there, he said, so when are you getting your own office? <laughs> So I took that as a signal. And he also said, you know, we only have so much uh, general operating funds and um, we're basically not going to be able to keep funding you. So he was really telling me in the nicest way possible that I needed to, to find more funding for ourselves. So here's the thing. NABS was doing incredible work, but they had a problem. 
which is that they were looking for more funding. And at the same time, at Candida, we had the opposite problem. We had extra money that we wanted to give away. When we started on this journey of figuring out where this funding would go, one of the major themes that Diana brought to the surface was the theme of patriotism. I, I think she really had an understanding that the telling of America's history and the notion of being a patriotic American involves both telling the good and the bad stories about our country, where we have done really well and where we have fallen short of, of our hopes and dreams and expectations as a country at the expense of others. When we talk about patriotism, it's wrapped around love of country, but it also involves how to make sure that everybody's included in the vision of America. And we were building up a funding portfolio here in Montana that supported the Native American community. We have seven, seven reservations here in Montana, indigenous reservations, and we were leaning into and building up our support for those communities. And so I think it came from Diana who said, you know, we need to think about doing something for the Native American community, provide them a, a monument or a memorial or an educational opportunity to tell the story of the indigenous community and their experience in terms of the, the history of this country. At that point, we hired a consultant by the name of Tom David, who was out of California. He set off on his own independent journey to help us explore um, the interests and needs within the Native American community. And, and in part to sort of put arm's distance between pushing our own ideas and instead center the conversation on where the Native American community was. When our consultant, Tom David, found NABS and he's like, I think this is the organization that you're looking for, but you come see it yourself. He said they're having their first ever national convening and they're having it at the location of the first Native American boarding school in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. It's now called the American War College. It's where they go to train for war. But at one point, it was a Native American boarding school where young Native American children from all across the country, not just the East, all across the country were shipped, hundreds of them. There's actually a, a small graveyard there with headstones at places where young Native children died while they were at the boarding school. And they had their names and then their, their tribe. And there were... People from Montana, you know, from the Blackfeet Nation, the Assiniboine Nation, and Northern Cheyenne. It said something to me that here's this big, well-manicured campus that trains apparently people in how to make war. And then there was this little, maybe 200 foot by 200 foot plot that had was jam-packed with these gravestones in between the war college and the boulevard for the highway that was buzzing by. We there that day did a ceremony, um, a smudging ceremony with cedar and sage that we burned there. Prayers were said. Everyone had a chance to say something and, and offer prayers for the people who passed and the members of the family and connected that were still impacted by, by this boarding school. And, and it was really, really emotional. It was really, really profound. And I came away from there thinking, this is the issue that we have to do something about. And this is the organization that's going to do it.
we understand that just dropping a $10 million grant on an organization is problematic. So the first thing that we did with NABS is we gave them a planning grant. We gave them a grant so that they could hire a facilitator to carry the board and staff through a year-long process by which the end result was a 10-year strategic plan. And it was incredible. And it was comprehensive. And so we invited the proposal to fund the implementation of that plan. And of course, uh, long story short, we did fund it. We gave NABS this grant not only because we believe in the issue, but we believe in the organization. It is our hope that our grant will not just help for the next 10 years, but will help for the next 50 years for this organization. And, and it's our hope that NABS will continue on its growth trajectory as a national and in fact, will grow into an international leader in reconciliation amongst indigenous peoples. That moment when Tim gave me the news that we had been approved for our $10 million proposal, it is etched in my memory. I felt like it was just a, a shot of electricity from the universe. It was so empowering to know that we were not going to have to worry about money and we could just focus on the incredible work at hand. When we got the award, it was just like a huge weight lifted off all of our shoulders that, wow, we can start doing this work now. We don't have to be putting together these little piecemeal requests. Donalte Nochime na Notaka Samuel, Nimeshika Iwan ni Nawa, Nane Huali Los Angeles, Iwan El Paso, Iwan Zacatecas. My name is Samuel Torres. I am Mexica and Nawa. I'm from Los Angeles. My family resides in LA, El Paso, and Zacatecas. I currently serve as the Deputy Chief Executive Officer for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. I was hired back in 2019 as the Director of Research and Programs. Aslahel, good day. Sitsayalza Sitsta, Twalcha Duflelup. My traditional name is Sitsayalza. Um, Deborah Parker. I'm a member of the Tulalip Tribes uh, located in the state of Washington, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. We are so incredibly grateful for the Candida Fund, and I very much believe that if it was not for the Candida Fund, like we couldn't be as creative and as heartfelt and as vibrant as we as we are as we try to be with private funding we can the door is open we don't have to go by a set of rules that don't often work for us in order for us to receive funding we get to operate how we were meant to operate this and that has been a huge difference it allows us to be able to lean into our traditional ways too, because it frees up some of those other aspects of, I would say, you know, like Western oriented, institutionalizing nonprofit sector stuff. With the Candida Fund, we're able to reimagine and recreate 
a work that goes beyond um, what people say are best practices. It goes beyond those best practices because it's new. We've never practiced this before. We are coming to work and saying, hey, look, we know that we have elders that that need um, they need to feel loved. We know that many of the children never had birthdays or celebrations at boarding schools. So what can we do that's special? And um, so we, we created um, an elders box. And we, during the pandemic, like started to receive items from across the country from indigenous people who make items, handmade items. We created 1,000 boxes for elders, for boarding school survivors, and every box was unique. At our Tulela Boys and Girls Club, we had them write little messages to the elders saying, we love you. So our boxes were called, we love you care boxes. The elders, many opened up their boxes and we received pictures of like elders crying because they didn't, they've never felt this like special, like what did I do to deserve this box? So there was a sense for some of like, I'm, I was, I'm unworthy still. And we want our elders to know you are worthy. You're worthy of greatness. You're worthy of protection. You're worthy of gifts. To receive pictures of elders in their socks saying, wow, I've, I've never been even acknowledged that I went to a boarding school until this day that I no one's apologized to me no one has said I love you and what happened to you mattered it's such a small gesture in the scheme of things and we have so much further to go Um, we need to bring some justice back we need to um, collect these stories and and find out the truth and just really uplift and support our our dear relatives. Fundamentally, NABs can be seen in three distinct pillars, through truth, justice, and healing. And within the aspect of truth, of course, we're committed to telling our stories. So at NABs, we, we meet people who carry these deep scars And we get to say, hey, we're here to listen, and we want to know your story. We have to tell these stories. We have to tell the sentiment, the feelings of what we're going through, because right now it's so hard to find the words. Our our families are broken in so many different ways. And yet the resiliency of our people, just those who are alive today, is truly a blessing. And it's amazing that we have survived. And so um, that's that's what NABS is about. We we are working with survivors of this great tragedy, and we're working to bring healing. We're working to bring language back, traditional language cooking foods, our traditional medicines. We want to make it okay to to be our beautiful indigenous selves as much as possible. But there's also great fear. There's also great fear. And we've heard from an uh, uh, several, but one elder in particular, that 
he didn't want his children to know what he went through because he didn't want them to feel the pain that he suffered. I think it's really an understatement to to recognize that it's heavy content, but I think what is, and, and speaking for myself as an indigenous man, to operate in a world where the rest of society has decided that this is not important to talk about, I think is a deeper scourge. So talking about it as heavy as it might be, we don't have an option because that is part of our healing. Today we were working on our digital archives so that we can help tell the story of of where our children went to and the dates and the locations and so that we can allow for our families, our dear relatives to go on to our digital archives and find either their stories or find the stories of their loved ones. The residential school system uh, took away my, lang- my language, my culture, and, and uh, my identity. It was the most unnatural experience I think I've had in my life apart from being um, in foster care. We were told uh, not, to, not to pass food around in the dining room to other students, and I got caught passing the slice of bread, and uh, I was uh, severely punished by, by the supervisor. I prevailed through those times. I've had some not so great experiences, but they haven't finished me. You know, if anything, they've made me stronger, so. You want to find your sense of belonging and uh, identity. So I went, ba- I went back to my traditions, my culture, and uh, that's where I found my identity. My father's a product of his mother being taken and, and his aunties and uncles. And they were put in jail for speaking their language or walking down the wrong street. And so that pain that he carries, I carry. The vestiges of boarding school practices and policies are still very much alive and well in the fabric of American society. And this isn't to say that it means that we are here to state just all the bad things about the United States. We just want to live in a country that upholds the values that it seeks to espouse. And so this is very big work. It's a deep work because in order to do that, the United States needs to uphold, and the citizens that live in it, in this country ought to be committed to and, and be challenged to live up to those ideals, those ideals that have really yet to be upheld. Part of our advocacy is creating a Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding Schools. And in 20, I want to say 2019, We started working on um, the Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding School Policies in the United States Act, and that currently is House Resolution uh, 5444 and Senate Bill 2907. We've never had an accounting of the number of children who were abused, died, or went missing while at these institutions, and then also the long-term impacts on the children and the families of the children who are forced to attend these institutions. We want to know the truth. We want to know the, the where were these boarding schools? Who ran the boarding schools? 
and uh, what happened at these boarding schools. Where are the children that were taken? So many never returned. And we, we understand some were put uh, in insane asylums or, you know, we, we, we hear stories. Some were burnt at the schools. They were put in incinerators. I mean, the, the stories are so uh, um, <laughs> stories are heartbreaking. But yet we still want to know what happened to our family members. We deserve that. And the United States has to be accountable. And and the churches, the religious institutions, have to be accountable for what they did to our children. And they know, they have records. As we know... We still have boarding school survivors in our lives today. It's our responsibility, our sacred duty to love them and support them and to provide them with the opportunities and the resources that they need to feel that love, to know that they can be held in this way that maybe that they didn't experience when they were a child and to grow that circle to community members, to school-age children to children that are even younger to know that we can live in a world that we deserve to be in where we can be guided by our traditional ways of knowing where we can speak our languages where we can practice our traditions and dance and sing and drum we know how healing those are when we bring folks together that are traumatized but what happens when we do that from the very beginning before trauma can even set in. There's so much potential for restoring the ways in which we're, we're disrupted. So I'm really looking forward to seeing where NAVS can go. We have a lot of energy on the ground right now, but we know that it can only get bigger. And that's really exciting to me. I think the future starts with uh, the humble truth, the the truth that what happened on the soil here in the United States, what happened to Native many th- hundreds of thousands of Native American children. Um, that that truth needs to come forward, and I, I really have hope. As as hard as it is to hear these stories, as harsh as they are and as difficult as they are, I do believe that we can find healing. I do believe that, you know, we can connect with one another in a better way and that we can provide that path, that we can ignite the fires that burn within us and um, start to look at each other as, as beautiful spiritual beings rather than the, the outside, or, or these are our bodies and our flesh, but with what's inside of us is a deep meaning of why, you know, why we're here, why we exist. And if we can get back to honoring the spirit within us, um, that's the best way I can say it in English. Our stomach is, is our spirit. And that, you know, we all have reasons why we're here on earth. And how do we honor each other? How do we honor one another? And, and keep that sacred space open to the future generations.
Thank you for listening. This project was produced by Maddie Foley, Adesua Agbanile, and Alessandra Tejeda, with production help from Chelsea Daniel for Wonder Media Network. Editing by Emily Rudder and Liz Smith. Original music by Chelsea Daniel. Our executive producers were David Brotherton and Dina Kimball.